0: Investing should be boring. Yeah, Successful sure. investing is boring. <laughs>
1: if I wish everybody could see the look that JT just gave you right now. What was that for, JT? I loved it. Oh. As
2: we move into spring, Team Swayze would like to give you a condensed version of Q1 in San Luis Obispo County. In this episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze, there are buying and selling tips, information on the rental market, inventory challenges, and local home prices strength in a perceived storm. There's also great information on the future of your energy prices in California and if you haven't pulled the trigger on solar you may want to do so in the next couple of weeks before It's too late. If you hear anything you want to find out more about, be sure to go back and listen to any one of the previous episodes dated in 2023 and listen to the one that pertains to that topic. If you find the information in this podcast valuable, help us continue to bring it to you by subscribing and leaving a five-star review. Never a dull moment when it comes to real estate in California. Here's Hal talking about the emotional roller coaster
0: and how to best deal with it. It can be very emotional, right? People get, there's highs and lows, the house is gonna sell, the, my escrow's going through, my loan to change. you know, so there's a lot of highs and lows, and everybody responds differently. And, and we called them really extreme mood swings, but you know, there's a technical term for it, and I'm not trying to make light of anything, but we just kind of call it, you know, maybe they're bi- bipolar, so I'm <laughs> sorry we're having fun. Anyway, so this year was, I would call it bipolar. I mean, what happened in the first three to four months of this year, oh, un- yeah. unprecedented. And then such a rapid slowdown with all the interest rate increases that we had. When did they start? February, March?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. It released really, in March. It really start. Everything started to change. Yeah. March yeah. is a pivotal month.
0: I mean, when COVID hit,
3: it was like March. Things started to shut down two years ago, and then the market right. went nuts for us. I think there was a frenzy in the beginning. Oh yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Let's get this house locked. Let's get can we lock our loan. Let's accelerate the escrow process. Yep. Uh, and then people were thinking, Holy smokes! But then we started to see buyers just start to basically evaporate because yep. what they could qualify. For at 3%, um, they could no longer qualify for at 4.5%, 5%, 6%. Now we're like floating at you know mid sixes, sevens.
0: So we notice when things change, people get nervous. You know, when gas prices go way up, they they change, you know, when the real estate market changes, people get nervous. We notice the stabilization kind of happen where it's like okay, well, this is the rate I need to buy a house now. This is like, the new norm. Yeah, this is what it is. Versus, So they, they, we've adjusted to it. Strong seller's market at the beginning. Now what we're going to call it more of a normal market. So we're, we're seeing a cross section of buyers and sellers. But if, I, if we look at the overall stats, year over year is a tough comparison to make in that year because it was so crazy last December. So our inventory is up. Um, it went from about 130 homes in 2021 at the end of the year, which is a record, record low. I mean usually December November is kind of a low inventory month people take their homes off the market. So we went up to 238, over 100% increase. So if wow. you want sensationalism, over 100%. Yeah, let's go. Let's go mainstream media. <laughs> yeah. Over
3: 100% increase.
0: Know. Yeah, I can't see that anymore. So 120. However, 288 houses for sale in a county with, you know, quarter of a million yeah. people. And that's the entire county. Yeah, I know.
4: How what would you consider normal for inventory? Gosh, it's
0: it's just gone down so much over the years. But I mean, I remember what I considered a normal market in the 90s. We had four or 500 homes in San Luis Obispo. It's, you know, we're probably a third of... Yeah, I would Keep say a third, four to six hundred in the county is probably. Oh.
3: If, if, if we had six hundred listings, it would be a, I think, a, a normalized market, and that's probably what we saw on average. As I'm breaking down, like there's usually a couple hundred in North County, yeah, fifty or sixty in San Luis Proper, hundred and fifty in South County, another you know forty five, fifty on the coast, um, on an on a in a normal year. Sometimes we look back at these numbers, we got them, and go, oh my gosh,
4: yeah. you know. So yeah, it's low. C- can I give you some perspective? Yeah, absolutely. May just a couple months after COVID hit i as i looked and it just stuck in my brain may 880 in the county may of 2020 600 properties below what we were in may of 2020 that's a big number
0: you know here's the thing you read about the market slowing down is the number of sales we went from crazy to more normalized so we're down from 210 closed last December, which was, a, I remember last December, that was a feeding frenzy. It was great for owners and properties. And look at that, 210 sold, but only 130 were active. <laughs> that tells you what kind of market that was, Yeah. So now we got 288 on the market, but we had 122 sell. So, so the number of sales is down about 40%. And we're building some inventory. Yeah, But how many days, what's the average days on market?
3: Like, it's Mm, still, it's still less than a month.
0: Yeah, it's still a seller's market. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit of a trend here, so I'm looking at our inventory, and, and this is really good stuff for like trying to get catchy news because our inventory is up 100% from a year ago. That means we went from 130 homes last year when we had a crazy limited inventory market that may never, we'd never see again. So now we have 263 homes at the end of January, first of February on the market for a county of 250,000 people. Interesting enough, our pendings after last January only down 17% after an epically record year of sales. I think 6.6 million sales in this country, which is an all-time record. So we're not down very much. That that equates to 135 last year when in escrow versus 111 this year. Very small adjustment. Our closings are down. So that was what happened in December, about 50%. And then our new listings are up a lot, 90% over last year. That means we had 78 homes come on the market. So that's 90% more than we did last January at the end of the month. Wow. But, but here's the interesting thing. But we had 111 going to escrow. So we still have more homes selling than we have new ones coming on the market. And part of the reason Graham is here is, you know, I mean, he's here every day dealing with the buyers. Graham, wh- right. what, what have you seen in the last 30 days of January, like in terms of the buyer activity? What's that look like for you?
5: buyer activity has increased significantly. The week after Christmas, my phone was blowing off the hook. I was uh, out showing property every single morning um, to multiple buyers. 45 days before that, I was here at the office making phone calls. Couldn't find a buyer for the life of me. What do you think that is? We saw interest rates basically go from 3% to 6% pretty quickly there. And what happens when something major happens is everyone freaks out and just stops. When they look around and they don't want to move and they think the world's ending. So that happened for a little while and then the holidays hit and everyone said, Well, I wasn't doing anything then. I'm not going to do anything now. Um, I'll wait till the new year. You know, interest rates were 6%, three, six 6.4 maybe. And they said, Hey, well, you know, this is the new normal. Let's go. So here yeah. we are.
4: But in, in some ways, we kind of sound like the, like the major media. Inventory's up 100%. of what? The lowest number in history. So inventory is still barely above the lowest inventory in history. 263 on the market, May of 2020, two months after COVID hit our world, there were 880 in the county, and we thought that was low. So inventory is still very, 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 very low and impacting the marketplace. I think people are
0: gaining confidence knowing, okay, this is what a market is, and it's a it's just a normal real estate market. What do you need to do and what do you need to accomplish?
4: Many people who follow this podcast have heard me talk over the last few months about my son buying a house up in Seattle in August. He ended up with a rate of 5.96 and we were very, very disappointed at 5.96 because we had been spoiled by, by the threes and fours, right? right? Well, what made him feel better about 5.96? Two things. It could never go up, and it could do what? Go down. Go down. Yeah, option. Yeah, you know his payment, you know on his loan is like thirty eight hundred bucks a month. A big nut every month. But there's two incomes, and their incomes gonna probably do what in the next few years? Go up. Go up. Go up. So even if they can't refi, they're gonna they're gonna grow into that thirty eight hundred as much as it's really tight right now you know, they're gonna grow into it and they're gonna be fine. Right. I mean, every house I ever purchased, I could not afford when I did it. And what, two or three years later, you're doing a little bit better, right? You can afford it now. That doesn't have anything to do with appreciation, doesn't have anything to do with refinancing to a lower rate, which both things could make the deal even sweeter. You can't buy a house and get a mortgage
0: today that you can't afford. The lender just won't let it happen. I know you stretch, but the lender's going to give you what you can qualify for and what you're capable, and they're not going to do that lightly. And then they're going to have an appraiser go out and make sure that nobody's overpaying for the property. So there's so many protections for a buyer. Buying in San Luis Obispo, California is a pretty good place to, to do it. We're trying to be a local resource and trying to bring what we feel is relevant and factual to the marketplace. And we compete with what people hear from their brother-in-law or the headlines. I think some of the headlines are saying, well, the you know, rental market is taking a nosedive. So here locally, some of this is anecdotal. Some of us rent, some of us have rental companies, some of us rent out properties, some of us have friends that rent. In talking to the major rental companies and what's happening out there, we're really not seeing like places sit empty. We're not seeing rents lower. So the rental market is very healthy here. Rents, probably for all intents and purposes, are as close to the highest as they've been ever. The, the shift in what's happened here in this past year really doesn't seem to have affected it. And it's a very strong rental market. Yeah, and, well, rent. and, and there's a lot, I think a lot more competition in the rental
3: market. I mean, how many people can afford to buy a home? There's fewer people that can buy as opposed to rent, especially in a college town. We got 40,000 students at Cal Poly. And yeah. they're
1: not. Yeah, anything buying. close to the school is expensive. Yeah. Whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. So I'm looking at this webpage on our computer
0: screen. So the yeah. f- top two, on Orcutt Road, a studio two one bedroom unit's twenty two hundred dollars a month. Fourteen twenty one bedroom on Garden Street for twenty four hundred dollars a month. Yeah, insane. That's frightening. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and and again, maybe that's why they're up here because that I I don't know, but
4: that seems like way above the market. Well, one of the people on our team just rented a studio in Grover Beach, which is a whole different market. Again, back to real estate being local. Every part of our county is a a market into its own. Uh, or unto its own, um, she rented a studio for 1300 bucks a month. Right? Well, that's, that's
1: actually pretty good.
4: It, it, well, it, it it does sound pretty good, but then if you look back a few years ago, wouldn't yeah. sound that good. No. no.
1: And yep. so, so me, renting, I was in Shell Beach at a, a, a two-bedroom condo, mm-hmm. and now I'm in Templeton, paying the same price for three beds. And JT, you saw it, three bed, two bath. Sure. 1,800 square foot. A home. so
4: it's yeah, it's, it's much much it's bigger. It's very nice, it's brand brand new. Yeah, 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 nice property.
1: Right, a little tricky for tenants, but if you are the landlord, you know you're in a pretty nice position.
0: Oh
3: yeah, it's a great way yeah. to go.
1: JT, one of your favorite quotes: "It's it's not timing the market, it's time in the market." Talk to me about time. Like, what people see is they they want to make a quick buck. They don't want to wait thirty years to make a hundred grand or two hundred grand. So let's talk about timeframes. Are you talking five years,
4: 10 years? Like what, what, what are the numbers that you're seeing in regards to time? Right. I, I would say the, the average American uh, moves every seven to 10 years. And my guess is the average American that buys a house and moves every seven to 10 years historically has done very well. If you want to buy a house today and, and, and sell it in a year, I'm not going to get in the boat with you and say, I'm, I'm all in on that one. But if you want to buy a house today and sell it in 10, give me a seat in the boat, man. I'm ready to go. You got to think about it. Most careers are what,
0: 30, 40, or I don't know. How long do you have to work these days? I've been working since I was 12. So anyway, so it, it's a long term. So if you can do that and if you can deal with that, that's great. But it's certainly not as exciting. And fortunately, I mean, I saw one couple of great people said, investing should be boring. You successful. make a decision. Yeah. yeah. Successful <laughs> investing is boring.
1: <laughs> I wish everybody could see the look that JT just gave you right now. <laughs> what,
4: what was that for, JT? I loved it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we have seen values soften a little bit in the county, in certain places in the county. Right oh, of course, yeah, there's yeah. certain and,
0: houses that might have sold for six thirty in March or April last year that might sell for five ninety nine or five ninety five so there's a little drop and, in price
4: and some of that we can attribute to uh seasonality absolutely yeah and and so do we know if housing prices are going up or down right now, and I would say yes they're <laughs> yes. going up or down. <laughs>
1: the wisdom yeah the wisdom no i mean it's
4: so difficult right now because of the the size of our our sample that from which we're trying to extract data and and make informed decisions yeah but But but, i think you make a good point that i that i think we need to come back to and that's this notion of Uh, I'm a home buyer. And the biggest thing I'm worried about is, oh, my gosh, if I buy a house right now, is it going to go down? And I go back to, you know, a story we told a few months ago. And that's if you bought a house for a million dollars today and you woke up six months from now and was worth $900,000, what would you do? I'd make my payment and stay in my house. You'd fix fix breakfast. You'd get the kids ready for school in the school district that you chose when you bought the house, in the kitchen that you remodeled when you bought the house, because it was exactly what you wanted. They went out and played on the swing set in your backyard that you chose, and they went off to school. You went to work, and nothing changed in your life. And, and if you
0: worry about the price of your house every day you, you need more things to think about
3: and it 's worth what someone 's willing to pay for it i mean i 've seen a house on a street you know go up for x and be on the market for three months before someone came in and bought you know close to the asking price same house two doors down goes up same basic floor plan is on the market for twenty four hours because there was someone that was moving that wasn 't looking for a home three weeks ago, and today is right. so I, you know there's timing involved too, and individuals and all kinds of stuff. It's crazy? I mean
4: yeah, I, I, I said a few minutes ago before we started rolling the tape that uh, you know housing prices are a little bit like like fingerprints. Everybody has one and they're all different, and every house is going to be different. Yeah. yeah, every buyer, you know, too many variables. Yeah. yeah, I think I quoted Warren Buffett the other day when he talks
0: about, you know, this always oh, Charlie Munger this century, you know, we've had two world wars, we've had the atomic bomb, we've had pandemics, we've had all these things happen. But at the end of the day, the American economy just continues to go on. So they just have a much broader um, perspective. I think we get that with age, right? Yeah, you you you're not looking at things at a, a
3: micro level. You're a little more macro. You've got that ten thousand foot view as opposed to oh, I'm living in the streets and you know I'm I'm feeling the discomfort of what's happening right now, this very second because it's affecting me. They've got the the ability to look back over a longer period of time because they've felt that they've been in the streets, they've felt that pain, and yeah. now uh, they they've lived through it and they can look back and, and talk
0: about it, and they're still here. Yeah, right. Stability, you know, creates confidence and it makes it easier for people. And the unknown, if things change quickly, you know, if rates drop way down, guess what's gonna
4: happen, right? If rates go up a lot, that's what's gonna, you know, we know what's gonna happen. Graham Baldwin, he knows his stuff. How do you help people not overpay for property?
5: I i always say, hey, look at, my my job is to get you guys the best price for the house, but also my job is to get you the house. At the end of the day, especially in a market where we're coming from where people are bidding fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand $100,000 over, market. It can be scary and you think, oh, wow, am I overpaying for this property? I like typically, we'll set them down and talk to them and say, hey, look at this house. Yeah, it's right now there's 15 offers on it. Where, you know, you're going to have to come in at about $105,000 over asking price to get it. And they're going to say, well, wow, well, aren't I overpaying? Well, if you don't get this house at $105,000 over-asking price, the next guy's going to get it for $100,000 over asking price. What is the house worth? A house is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? At the end of the day, it's about how much you can afford, and if you can make that monthly payment. Like I said earlier, if you can afford the hundred thousand dollars over ask price, and you can make that monthly payment, and you're going to have a house to live in with your family, and you're going to, and you've got tax benefits, and you've got all these, you know, you've got the joy of being a homeowner. Is that worth it to you? And if the answer is yes, shoot, let's go for it. But if it's gonna, if it's gonna put you uncomfortable and you can't make those payments, and it's gonna stress you out, and no, let's reset. And instead of buying an eight hundred thousand dollar house for nine oh five, uh a school for a seven hundred thousand dollar house and pay eight oh five for
0: it. We're not even seeing that much of that anymore, right? No. So now no. it's just like I mean, what I see as a listing agent sometime a property sits for a couple of weeks and people are kicking tires and they go, Oh, I'm kind of interested. They wait and the next thing you know, then there is another offer. Right. right? So even two offers is really good for a seller, but we don't have as, you know, many anymore. But even still, it's just sometimes the victory goes to the bold who are the
4: first ones to step up. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I looked this morning, and there are still homes going for over the S price, just not as many as there were a year ago. Yeah.
5: If a home is competitively priced in this market, there's still enough buyers to drive it over. Is it going to go 100000 No, most likely not. Um, But it will still go over if it's competitively priced, um, just because our supply is still so low.
4: Now, now you talked about the joy of home ownership, Graham, and uh – if I've got this right, you've got three kids under 10?
5: <laughs> I sure do. Yeah, I've got twin nine-year-olds, boy, girl, and then a little uh, boy who's 6 We'll be turning seven here shortly. So yeah, we're in a chaotic household.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me make you feel better. Children of homeowners have better test scores than children of renters. So just to make you feel a
5: little bit better about your chaos at home. Jeez, my parents must have been renters then.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a tough one, I think. And, uh, you know, the buyer who needs to sell in order to buy, Graham, that would seem like that's a, a tougher tougher avenue to travel.
5: It can be, yes, though there are a lot of options today, uh, and Hal can attest to this as well, because uh, you know, he, deal- he deals with this a lot, is um, back to getting in touch with a good local lender. If you've got enough equity in your home, you can bridge that loan and you can come in with a cash offer and replenish those funds after you sell later. So that's an option that many of our clients are taking advantage. We are in a market in which a contingent offer just unfortunately is not very acceptable, um, right off the bat at least. What
4: what do you mean by a contingent
5: offer? Yeah, so contingent offer meaning that I need to go, You know, here is my offer to buy your house, though I need to sell my house first before I can actually close on this house.
4: And I'm going, nah, I'll find another buyer for my house, right? Exactly, yes. So
0: you get them in touch with the lender so they can always see if they can buy first. Correct. Bridge right? yep. loan, whatever, buy without selling, that sort of thing, sell later. Yep. And then we have some other options, right? We have guaranteed purchases on a home. We do, yeah. Right? <laughs> so we have access to do that, which kind of is a nice advantage. And then I guess from a seller's perspective, some people go, I don't want to buy till I sell. I want to know how much I'm getting for my house, which I get. What would you say to that buyer? How would that seller protect themselves if they go, hey, I want to know if I'm going to get 850 or 825 or 950 for my house before I decide to go purchase something or make an offer?
5: I'm actually in that situation right now with some clients, and they're in a different market than we are in. You know, they're coming out of the Central Valley, where that market is doing a lot of different things, than our market is doing currently. You know, I'm right there alongside with them, saying, "Hey, yeah, I don't want you guys overreaching because if you, you know, because if your house hasn't sold yet, and you end up selling for twenty five thousand dollars less or or whatnot, what's going to happen? It's a hard conversation to have. Um, what, what what I typically say is, "Okay, well, you know." let's find out what your must-haves are in a house and then go look for those maybe at a slightly lower. Let's say they can afford a million dollars. Right. Hey, let's just start looking at some $900,000 homes. Let's yep. not look at the million-dollar mark yet because maybe we'll find something in the 900000 that you like and it's going to be perfect and we can move in now. And maybe that buys us a little time. The house goes into escrow okay great we've got you know now we know where we're at okay now we can bump up that that search a little bit if they need to yeah if they need to yeah
0: and it's a little tough for you especially like an out-of-town seller or owner right coming from the central valley hopefully their agent has told them hey can you get this thing on the market and just give them a longer escrow give us time or do a rent back right so we see those things happen yeah right and
5: yeah. rent backs are pretty common now yeah and we're, seeing, we're seeing that you know a lot more than we did again three four years ago buyers just want to get into escrow to get them in they're willing to let that seller have 30 days, 60 days of of rent back and sometimes even free
0: they just want to know they got a place to go, right? Exactly. Yeah. Solar power is a big deal, solar right. energy for us and, and the real estate market and there's some changes coming down the pike so we brought in a, a local expert, Nick Hoover from Slowcraft. So Nick gets the yeah. round of applause yeah, right. that we normally give for everybody yeah. that gets here. Yeah. Only, uh, one two, <laughs> only one of two so far to get <laughs> an applause. Mr. Nick, how are
6: you, sir? Very good. So there's a big date coming up. April 15th, kind of coincidental that it's also tax day. Another fun. Uh, oh, so <laughs> it's not awesome.
1: because of tax day. No, no, it's just, it's just the, the timing. Okay.
6: So April, 15th is a transition from net metering 2.0 to net metering 3.0. And what that means to the, the layperson that's looking into purchasing solar is solar is looked at over a 12-month period called a true-up period. During that 12-month period, you export electricity to the grid. For instance, when you're at work and you're not at home, your solar system's cranking away because it's the middle of the day and the sun's out, most of that electric- electricity is going to get exported to the grid. So pg you can think of it like a bank. pg e is going to count the amount of electricity that you're exporting to the grid. So that electricity that you're putting into the grid, you're getting credits for. Now you come home at nighttime, maybe you do have an electric vehicle, whatever it is that you're consuming, your hot tub, um, whatever it may be, you're going to now withdraw from the PG&E bank, from those credits that you put in during the day. And over that 12-month period at the end of it, hopefully you've at least created as much electricity as you've used. If you've created more than you've used, you have an offset uh, uh, from the $10 a month minimum grid connection fee that PG&E charges. But other than that, there's no real advantage to producing more electricity than you use. That's, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to create the amount that you use. Right now, the amount that you export, you get a one-to-one credit for. On April 15th, that's going to reduce by 75%. So for every kilowatt that you export during the day, you're only going to be able to import it back for 0.25 the value of. So essentially, you'd have to create four kilowatts to get one back, kilowatt hours. And that's happening after April 15th. And what that's going to do is incentivize people from the state's perspective to install energy storage systems because you would store your own electricity. It would never go through the meter. PG&E will never see it because they'll just use it at your own property. And that's to try and stabilize the grid. So from April 15th forward, the value of solar exports reduces by 75%, which is creating a frenzy of everyone trying to get their solar system installed And before April 15th, which is not accurate. All you've got to do is get it approved before April 15th, and then you have three years to complete the construction of the solar system. But you do have to have it approved through pg and um, net metering portal before April 15th, and you're good to go. And you'll keep the one-to-one. Correct. Gotcha. Once you're into that tariff, you get approved for a 20-year grandfathering period. So that stays the same for 20 years. How do you do it? And the application is submitted by your contractor or developer, whomever's doing it. So whomever you select to be your solar contractor, which hopefully it's us. uh, (laughs) uh, Hello, Jay. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) So you you submit that through your contractor. And then once the application is deemed complete, as long as there aren't any missing elements to it, then that locks in the three-year construction timeline window, as long as that's submitted before April 15th. You don't have to have the building permit already approved. You don't have to have any of the uh, granular level detail. It just has to be a completely submitted application. And the application is submitted by your contractor. It's very simple. It's, it's something we do every day. If I say, hey, I want to put a system on this property, how long? Yeah, the complete application, um, is, as long as it's submitted complete, you're good to go. Does it take you a week or them a week or anything? Oh, once we lock a contract from us, it can take us anywhere between two or three weeks. We're trying to have everybody done by April 1st. That we've Right, got okay. got something to go wrong. Got it.
1: I, I'm just... I'm
6: yeah, we, we can go on.
1: Taking in all this information. We, but we yeah, could go on. Let people know uh, how they can get a hold of you. If they have any questions directly, call, pager, wh- how, wh- whatever you have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you never know. I don't know. They're still available. Facts, right? Yeah. The technology guy has a pager? Uh, w- <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> yeah. the Landline. Best,
6: yeah. The best thing you can do is if you head to our website at slowcraftinc.com, uh, S-L-O-C-R-A-F-T-I-N-C.com, there's a button on there that says get a proposal. Click that. It takes all your information down. Hit that. The second you submit it, it goes into our sales software and we get notified and we'll be contacting you within hopefully a short time frame.
1: Where were you when I called you for this podcast? Uh, I think were it you, was installing a software. You're on a roof or something, yeah. right? You answered the phone directly and it was a hello. I don't remember if you said slow craft. You're like, hello, I can tell you're working, but you, you answered the phone directly as you. I can hear people in the background talking. So you, you do both. You, you sell and you install.
6: Yeah, all of our people are like that. And, you know, there's a lot of great solar companies in our county. There's, there's ones that are large national companies, and there's also ones that are just local here. They all do a great job. Um, so I, I don't think anybody could go wrong there. The difference with us is is that we're so small that we focus on one project at a time. And just like you mentioned, you can call or text me, and I'll answer you immediately.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, super fun podcast today, gentlemen. Um, we will see everybody next week, and I thank you again for coming. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Nick. That was awesome. Great info. Thanks, Nick.
1: Thank you for listening to the House Swayze Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It comes out every Monday, so check for it in your feed for the latest information on the San Luis Obispo County market. The Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze Podcast It's available wherever you get your podcast and on HowSwayze.com, where you can find current listings and other real estate tips. HowSwayze.com, that's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. I am James Bueno, Director of Marketing for the HowSwayze Group. If you're looking for anything real estate, give us a call, 805-781-3776.
2: Hal Swayze is a licensed California real estate broker. DRE number 01111911. The Slow County Real Estate with Hal Swayze podcast is a production of AGM Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.